Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're listening to our sermon series on 1 Peter titled A Cautious Crossing. The book of 1 Peter was an important letter to first century believers, encouraging them on how to carefully influence and impact their culture. This message is still relevant today as we Christians carefully make the cautious crossing toward heaven. Join us on our journey through this fantastic book. Good morning, church. It is another day to, to be in the Lord's house. Amen? Hey, hey, we've been going through this text in 1 Peter. It has been really good stuff. Uh, and I'm going to talk about what does it mean to Peter to write this letter in just a few moments. Um, and Pastor Ryan was probably looking over this text, and this is a hard text. It really is. And he says, I'm going to give it to Joe. And uh, no, but he is down in Valdosta with his family. His son, Parker, is graduated from college. So that is where he is at, as he should be. And uh, I get the joy and privilege to orate God's word this morning, and I'm so very thankful of that. This is my heart, this is my joy, this is my passion, is to preach God's word, to tell the believers what he has done, and to remind us of who we are and what we are to do about it. And today's text is all over that, uh, and I'm afraid uh, we don't have enough time to really go into too much detail, but it is beautiful text. And uh, I'm excited to go through it. So we've been going through this series called A Cautious Crossing. And the title of my sermon is, Are We Home Yet? Thinking of the idea, are we done yet? Are we there yet? And the answer is no, we're not there yet. And we need to be encouraged to continue as we travel through this world. Uh, Peter's going to call us aliens, foreigners, sojourners, exiles, those who are not home yet. And that's where we're going today. Last week, we talked about how we were persecuted for our faith and how hard it is to be a believer in a broken and lost world. They're coming after us left and right, okay? And as true believers, we need to stand tall and firm on the Word of God. And in our faith, we represent who Christ is in our lives because He is worthy. Amen? All right, so let me, let me read this, this opening sentence, opening paragraph to what we're about to read. Uh, this is Peter's mindset that I really believe that as he writes this letter, listen to this. I believe Peter wrote this book in mind of his personal experience of walking daily with Jesus Christ in the flesh. Jesus called Peter what? What did he call him? The rock. What's funny is inside this one little passage, the rock is mentioned six times. There's something going on here. So this was truly heavy on Peter's heart. He could only vision the moment when Jesus said to you, or said to Peter, upon you, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Upon Peter, he will do this. But there's something that haunts him. It's his past. Because of one of his worst mistakes is that when Jesus was captured and taken into the prison, uh, Peter followed and he denied Christ three times before the rooster could even crow. And so Jesus, after this, after the resurrection, Jesus asked him personally three times, just as he denied him three times, do you love me, Peter? Peter. 
He will never forget that lesson in Christ. And then what does he tell him after that? After he responds to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, then go feed my sheep. That is the mission and commission for Peter and for us as ministers of the word. If you are a believer, you are a minister of the word and you take it wherever you go and you are preaching the good news of the gospel. But to Peter, he is called the rock and Jesus challenged him face to face with grace and truth and mercy and forgiveness, go and feed my sheep. So this text is very, very heavy. So he does not write this letter quickly nor spiritless. He writes it with fervency, passion, love, and hope. He wants all believers to live for Christ as Peter did. He wants them to not forget, or I'm sorry, he wants them not to get too comfortable in this world because we are not home yet. So let's stand and read the word of God together as true believers. Uh, First Peter chapter two is where we're gonna be in the first 12 verses. First Peter chapter two. Let's read this passage with the drama included and give our full attention to what the Lord is about to say. First Peter chapter two, verse one. Put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the same pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves live like living stones, being built up as spiritual houses to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone itself. And the stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they stumble and they disobey because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, may know, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. God, thank you for your beautiful word. How holy is it? May we be a holy people that is set apart just for you. God, may we be encouraged to see what you are doing in this text and to remind us of who we are. We are We, it is no longer we who live, it is you who live within us. And Lord, we are not our own. We are not home yet. Lord, let us long to be home. Let us long for your word like newborn infants long for milk. God, I love you. I thank you. Give us this day our daily bread. And Lord, let me not speak my words, but speak your words and give me the anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach your word holy as it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
So this is a powerful text as we just read. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot to dive into. There's a lot to explain. So I'll do the best I can with the hour that I have. And so as Peter is talking about the whole theme of this, uh, this passage is that he is reminding believers their identity in Christ and that they are spiritual, uh, spiritual beings on earth that long to go home. And in just the first chapter talks about how we are identified in Christ, that we are born again in the Spirit, but then we will face trials in the world. You will be persecuted before they persecuted me, is what Christ says. And so if they hated Christ, they will hate us. And so we need to live tall and firm and holy and obeying of the word. And there is much joy and encouragement in that. In this passage, it is not looking down upon us. It is uplifting us. That's the hope I hope we get to be a part of today. So point number one is we do not belong here. This is a hotel. This is an apartment. We are traveling through here, this world. We do not own it. Do not get, and that, what that means is don't get comfortable. Don't desire what possessions can I cling to so much. And I look at that in my own life. What can I let go and cling to God? And this is what this passage is all over. What do we need to let go of and start clinging to the word? This is it. As we believe, we cannot look like the world. As believers, we cannot look like the world. If we entangle ourselves with the things of the world, we hinder and destroy the image of Christ to the lost and dying world. Look there in verse one. This is where Peter, he's opening up. You can't go any farther until you get past verse one. So put away all malice, which is the desire to do evil, deceit, hypocrisy, Envy and all slander, which is evil words. These are the things that he is saying, do not get caught up in the world with. If you are doing these things, you can't do the rest. And so he's saying, check your heart. Get right with the Lord. Make sure you are pursuing him above all else. And so we have to finish verse one before we keep moving on. So listen to this. What I mean by this is, if we sin, it keeps us from hearing what God is trying to say to us. Does that make sense? The more we are selfish, the farther we're away from God. But the more you're pursuing the Lord, the more, the more you have pushed back the passions of the flesh and, and, and the more you represent Christ in a beautiful, beautiful way. Um, my pastor in college, he was my mentor. He helped me write sermons and, and preach and pulpit supply and all that. And uh, he said, Joe, when, when you get to a church, you're going to realize you're going to have to preach on sin every week. People just don't realize what sin is. I'm like, I probably won't have to do that. Uh, surely people know what sin is. Well, then I became a pastor. <laughs> and I started reading your comments on Facebook. And I realized, wow, we are a broken and lost generation. We realize that we are not sinning against God in the midst of everything that we do. When we do selfish things, that's against the Lord. Anything against God's law is what? Sin, right? And I'm teaching that to my students every Wednesday night. The people were punished because they did not, did not obey the law. And we'll get to that in a second, but there's more truth to that. And so we see how we need to point out sin in our lives according to verse one. So as believers, we need nourishment from the Lord. Look there in verse 2. Like newborn infants, long, which means crave, desire with all passion, crave for the pure 
spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now this is, this is Peter, right? It's not Paul's usage of you who believers are just on the milk and need to chew meat uh, saying you're immature. No, this is actually the complete opposite. As we are believers, we should always long for the Lord, especially really meaning the word. The word is what you should long for, and it should be deep within inside of us is that we, we long for it every day and night. I, I'm not a father. I don't do babies, but I know that newborn mamas could probably, I mean, newborn babies do this all the time. They cry, right? They cry when they need to sleep, eat, poop, you know, play, need attention, whatever. They cry day, night, all the time, morning, day, and night. And so as they cry for their moms or their dads, so should new or just believers in itself, we should be longing for the Lord morning, day, and night. That is where that passion is coming from. As you crave for it, as I need the word today, I cannot go another step forward until I get the word. And this is what I love about it. It's actually, uh, this is also affirmation of salvation. If you're struggling with your heart and saying, am I saved or am I not saved? Really question on this. Do I long to grow in the Lord? Do I long for his word every day? That's a great question to ask yourself. Am I truly saved? Do I really long for the Lord? Because the truth is, if you are a true believer, you will long for the Lord. It's just natural. It's just natural. As a baby cries for milk, so will a believer cry for the Lord. So this is what happens. Spiritual growth cannot happen without the intake of the word. Listen to that. Spiritual growth cannot happen without the intake of the word. Believers need to feed on the word. Uh, one commentator said this, indeed they can have no spiritual growth but by the pure doctrines of the gospel. They are fed on by what they were saved by. The gospel. We need to be reminded of it daily. We need to pursue the Lord daily. As he has pursued us, we must pursue him. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That he allows us to be in his kingdom and that we get to have a personal relationship with him. Amen? All right. And so it is as if all Christians should have a constant and intense longing for the word of God. That's it. That's the whole meaning of verse 1 and 2, is that we should have a longing and intense desire and passion for the Lord and His Word, that we should desire to grow. Let me read verse 3 as we move on. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, just as a newborn baby longs for milk, this is the same thing, going as, as this, you spiritually taste for something, and it is good. And what's beautiful is, this is actually from a Psalms, Psalms 34, verses 4 through 9. And if we have this, and it says in the Psalms of 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. They're glowing with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. And taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones do what? 
Fear the Lord. That is the Old Testament thing that God is calling people to do. Not just obey the law, but to fear the Lord. And for those who fear, lack nothing. It is a truth that I've been talking about with my students in the Old Testament. If you are for God, he will bless you. If you are against God, he will curse you over and over and over again. That is repeated as the theme throughout the Old Testament. Until Christ come, God in the flesh, and we get to see that. So notice how Peter is encouraging the believers to realize that we do not belong here because we are not home. So point number two is we are spiritual belongings or beings that desire to go home. We are longing to go home. We are spiritual beings longing to go home. As we live in a world or we live in the world but not of the world. There's a difference. We are to live in this world, but not of the world. It means that as we go through this world, we don't cling to it. We don't show people that we love it here. We show people that, hey, I have a God in heaven who has redeemed me, who has bought me with his precious blood. I belong there, not here. Let me tell you about it. And our lives must reflect that uh, as we get into application in the end of this, this passage. But right here, what is happening Coming from all these things, Romans 12 says this in verse 1 and 2, how we are living sacrifices. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the, the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This is what we are to do. We are to pursue the Lord with everything we have. And he calls us living sacrifice in Romans 12. Well, what's interesting is right here in this text, verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone. And in verse 5, again, living stones, talking about us. The word for living is beautiful. Living, uh, the Greek word for living is, means alive or that it means to have true life and to live life worthy of the name child of God. That's a beautiful thing. As we are living stones, we are living creatures. We are no longer dead in our sin. We're alive in Christ. We're living stones only because he is the living stone there in verse four. Listen to this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, talking about the Jews and the Pharisees who persecuted him and did not believe he was the son of God and crucified him because they did not believe it. But it, listen to this, keep going. But in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. Wow, that is powerful. We see how God has the chosen precious stone, which is Christ, rejected by men, saying it's the idea of a builder building a house and looking at this block and saying, this is not fit for our house, the Jews, and they throw it away. And then all of a sudden, God says, no, that, not only do you just need that piece, he's the foundation. And so he lays Jesus flat. And then upon Jesus, the foundation, the church is built. So listen there. Stones are mentioned six times just in this short passage, which is a huge, significant part of being a part of the family of God, talking about us. We are living stones built upon the one true living stone. Listen there in verse five. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up 
as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to do what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God only through the power of Jesus Christ. So this is our heart, is that it's the idea of we are living stones. Think of it this way. What makes up a family? Sons and daughters make up a family. Same thing with a spiritual household. We are built up as the body of Christ to praise the one true king. That is our heart. That is our passion. And we should desire that over and over. As Christ is the choice of the Father, we do not need to have any doubt of the efficacy and the sufficiency of all that he has suffered and done for salvation. He is the payment for it all. He is the foundation. And then we build our lives upon that. If you are truly surrendered to the Lord. So he is the foundations and we are the family of Christ. We are the embodiment of how we worship the Lord. Uh, We are living stones when we are born again. We are spiritually alive. Which we build up a holy temple upon Christ. And I want you to think of it this way. Don't think highly of yourself as like I'm the big bad stone. Or I'm the best stone at this. Or I deserve to be here. Did you know that if a stone is thrown away and it cannot be indwelt, it is meaningless. But multiple stones upon a solid foundation is a beautiful sight and there can be an indwelling. And that is the presence of the Lord. It's a beautiful picture of what Peter is trying to tell the believers of the first century church. Do not forget who you are. Do not forget the teachings of the Lord. Do not get entangled with this temporary hotel because we are not home yet. And as we cross through this dangerous and weird and wicked world, do not get ensnared by its traps. So just like the chosen people here that we're reading about and us, the Israelites, look at the beautiful picture, as they were the temporary tent in the wilderness so that they can praise, worship, and sacrifice to the Lord. So on this side of the cross, we are the same thing. We are the temporary tent here on earth, worshiping and praising and sacrificing to the Lord. What a beautiful thing of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is is very important here because it proves and it prophesied that Christ would come as the Messiah. He is the foundation of the church, as we can see there in the next few verses. But I want to talk about 6 through 8, verses 6 through 8. There are five quotes from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is very rich here, especially in this text. And they all come from Psalms and Isaiah. And the way I put it is, I really do believe that Peter was doing his devotion before he wrote this letter in uh, Psalms and Isaiah. It's just beautiful how it just flows out of him naturally. Everything is being referred back to the Old Testament. The prophesied Messiah will come, will be rejected, but he will be the cornerstone, which is prophesied through the Old Testament. So, Let's keep, let's keep going as we move on. Uh, the Jews, as we, we, we want to read these verses 6 through 8, the Jews rejected him as the Messiah, and they were a stumbling block because they disobeyed God. Much less they did not even believe that Jesus would, was God. 
And that he would die on the cross for the sins of the world. And they will be judged by this. Ending of verse 8. So let's, let's see what Peter continues to do as he encourages the believers to do uh, verses 9 through 10. And so my, my third point is we're almost home. We're not home yet, but we're almost home. So let's keep going in verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Where does that come from? That comes from the Old Testament. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wow, what a beautiful text as we see here what God is doing in their lives. Let's start there in verse 9 and kind of walk through these things. Chosen race, that's number one. Like the old Israel, they were chosen by God, right? We've been going through this with the students on Wednesday night. They are chosen. God comes to Abraham out of nowhere. From you, I will raise up a great nation. Many more than the stars are in the sky. Because of you, I will choose you to be my children. But on this side of the cross, anyone can become a child of God. Not just by birthright, but by being born again over and over. We see how God is proclaiming his goodness to all people, not just the Jews. What a beautiful thing it is to be allowed to be in the family of God. We are adopted into his chosen race. And so not only can the Jew be saved, but the Gentile. Not can just the free person get saved, but the slave can. Not just the black person or the white person, but the rich and the poor, the young and the old, the smart and the not so smart person can get saved. That is something we ought to be joyful about, that I get to be a part of the kingdom of God because he has allowed grace to all people. Mm, what a beautiful thing. But this would have really made the Jews upset as Peter is writing this because it is just their faith and they had, that's why they were the stumbling block is because they did not like opening up their religion to other people, their chosenness over grace. The second thing is royal priesthood. I love this one. This one's my favorite. So the priesthood part, uh, think of it this way. In the Old Testament, it's what it all refers to, the Old Testament, in the tent, the priest could raise up and go and make the sacrifices for your sins, right? If you lived there, you couldn't even go inside the tent. You couldn't even get close to it. You brought your goat every week and say, look, this is for this sin, this sin, and this sin. I'll see you next week. And they would go and sacrifice the sin. They could present themselves to the Lord and say, this is an offering, a sacrifice for someone's sin. And then there's the holies of holies. No one could go in there except for the high priest, and he could go in there once a year. So think of this. No one can get to God because we're so sinful. But thank God for the New Testament. Jesus comes, and when he dies on the cross, the veil is torn in two. We now get to enter into the presence of the Lord because we, if you are a true believer, you have priesthood. We get to communicate to God personally now. Thank God. Amen. This is a beautiful thing to talk about. And then the royal part of it, the royal priesthood, is since our father is the king, that makes his children royalty. 
We are royal priesthood. We are royal that we get to talk to God himself. That is the beautiful thing. I love that. And the third thing is he calls them a holy nation. Again, in the Old Testament, who are they referred to as? A holy nation. And God calls them out over and over. Be my people. Be holy for I am holy. Obey the law. Fear me as your God. And we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights with the students. It's a beautiful thing. And then it gets really sad. And it's a beautiful thing. And then it gets really sad. All because it's a cycle of this. They are in peace. They love God. God saved them out of slavery, out of Egypt. And things are going great. And then all of a sudden, they begin to worship other gods because they're like, forget this, we're bored. And then all of a sudden, they're sinning against God, and so God has to punish them. And so as they're being punished, they go into exile and being punished for all that. They wander in the wilderness and then, and then on. But then God says, I hear your cries. I will restore you. I will redeem you instead of crushing you. And so then he, he saves them again. They're in happiness and peace. And then it just cycles over and over and over. That is the story of the Old Testament. But as he calls them to be a holy nation, that they would live a holy life to the one true God. Especially according to last week, we were just talking about how we finished the book of Joshua. That was a really good time for the Israelites. Why? It's because they raised up a generation to worship and fear the Lord and obey his word. It got really good for them. They enter into the promised land. God delivered them over into salvation. Very clear picture, very beautiful. And then Judges comes. Things start to go really bad in Judges, and then from there on, it gets really worse. But in Judges, it happens to be things got really bad because no one was raised up, no one was the leader of the people, and they were just wandering, and because they disobeyed God in the book of Joshua, they pushed some of the people out and not all of them. And so sin crept back into their lives. They were not a holy people. But we get to see this beautiful picture of how God is punishing them until they repent. And then they repent and go back and forth, back and forth. And then for 400 years, nothing happens. They don't hear a word from God. But then Jesus comes. And he pays the debt that is to be paid. And he gives them the Holy Spirit, the one who is called the helper, the one who is to help them obey the word. And there's a beautiful story with that. But back in Judges, what's the root of the problem? I want to point this out. The root of the problem in the book of Judges, why things get so bad, is because it says word for word, they raised up a generation who forgot the Lord who saved them. I think we're facing that right now. Do you not agree? And I am, a, as a student pastor, I will not let that happen, at least here with my people, that we will not raise up a generation who forgot who the Lord was. And my heart and my passion is that you as elders and parents lead them in that way as well. And uh, I better move on before I get in trouble. And so I hope that your heart is desiring for the Lord's word and desiring that the people around you, especially in your household, they know the Lord. As Joshua says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's why things were so good for them. But then judges came. They raised up a generation who had no idea who God was. So they were a holy nation. As they were surrounded by, listen to this, it's very, very relevant. As the Israelites were in, the, in the, the, the promised land, they were surrounded by lost people living 
in the Holy Land, they were surrounded by pagans, and as they did not obey the Lord, sin crept in. Do we not see that in today's church, where we are to be the light into the world, but yet darkness is pursuing us, because we have not stood on the word of God. I think Peter realizes this, and not only is it just tough to realize this. Peter is being persecuted. He knows the people that are writing to are being persecuted. They are being killed daily for their faith. And so the people around them have to look at the Christians and say, if they would die for their faith, there must be something different about them. And I wish we could say that about the American church, that if they don't bow down to the secular world infrastructures, Who are they? What's different about them? But sadly, we are entangling ourselves with the world. And that is very, very dangerous. So as the holy nation, God gives them a reminder. Do not turn from the word to the left or to the right. And here's a second reminder that is repeated over and over and over again. Remind your children who is the God who saved you out of slavery. These are the things that we must not forget. Do not turn from the right or to the left from the word and to remember and to remind our children who the Lord is and how he saved me and how he can save you. But to remember we are not home yet and we, <clears throat> and we are in a temporary position. This world is temporary. Look there in verse 11. Beloved I urge you as sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war on your soul. The the, the part there, the beginning, uh, it talks about uh, sojourner and exile. What that means is someone who sojourns with you, uh, a foreigner in uh, in an exile, one who is not home. He doesn't belong here, and he is kicked out. Right, And so we, we realize that this is a verb or a, a status of temporariness. That's what I want to get the heart of. It's temporary. We do not belong here. We're called aliens. We're just traveling through. We are earthly dwellers who are longing to go home as future heavenly dwellers. Just as I have a driver's license that proves that I'm a citizen of America... So the same way as I have the Holy Spirit, that proves that I'm a citizen of heaven. It's the same thing. Statistically, what is the most dangerous part of your trip? As you travel and journey, uh, you can go 100 miles, 10 miles, whatever. You know that statistically the most dangerous part of a trip, you know where it is? It's within five miles of your house. It's within five miles of getting home. Why is that? Because we get complacent, we get relaxed, we get comfortable. We know this step by step, we know how to do this. And just like this is our journey through life, we are, and especially if you're older and in your years of, I'm about to meet the Lord, and it's like, ooh, let me just relax. I finally get to retire. The Lord is saying, do not slack off right here. Pursue me with everything because that is when it is dangerous. That is when it's easy to get wrapped up into the world. That's easy to listen to all the financial people and say, this is what you need to have, a 401k over this and this and this and this. It's easy to do that. But it's dangerous to do that. And this is where it comes out. Character matters. Character matters. Look there in verse 12. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Look there in the beginning of verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, which is the lost people, honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they slander words against you, that they may have nothing evil to say about you, is really the context there, that they see something different going on in your life. This is verse 12. It's all about application. It sums it up this way. Your life should prove Christ as Lord and Savior over your life. Your life should prove Christ as Lord and Savior over your life. So, therefore, travel through this world as redeemed holy people of God. God fears and chosen people, a chosen race. We should say, don't look at me. I'm not good. Look to the Father. He's the good one. I can do nothing good outside of his will. He is the one you should look to. We should be representations of Christ. What we say and do reflects who God is about your life. I've got a question for you. Can someone come to Christ because of your lifestyle? Now, you can't save anybody. Christ does all the saving. But is your life so beautiful and so reflective of the gospel, can they come to saving grace? That's a good question. Well, I've got a second question for you, and it's a little bit better. It's a little bit tougher. Can someone not come to Christ because of your life? That's tough. That's a hard pill to swallow. To really look at my own life and say, ooh, is there any area in my life that is really, really reflective of Christ? Also, is there any area that is not reflective of Christ? Think about that one. That one's, that one's gonna go home with you. That one's gonna eat at you as you go throughout the day. Man, what do I really need to change? I really desire the word over anything else. Uh, do, does my life speak for itself in saying, I am a chosen race. I am a holy nation and a royal priesthood because I live differently than the world. I'm not entangled by its snares and its darkness. Let me say this. We're losing America to morality and the principles of God, not because lost people are acting like lost people. That, that should be a no-brainer. Lost people are going to act like lost people. But I believe it's sad to say we are losing America because the church is acting like lost people. That's what's wrong with this, is when we get ensnared and entangled with the, with the world, we begin to look like them and not like Christ. And this is what Peter's talking about over and over. Don't look like the world, look like Christ. He's the one who saved you. He is the foundation we build our lives upon, not the world. Why? Because the theme of this text, we are not home yet because we do not belong here. Mm, good stuff, good stuff. Point four. This is where I'm going to close. This is always my shortest point. It's always a questionnaire. It's always leading up to the invitation are you ready to go home? Are you ready to go home? Do you strive to live as if the king is returning tomorrow? Man, that makes you question everything. If Christ comes back tomorrow, are you ready? Are you prepared? 
I would say this in preparation for the Lord returning. I hope that you would warn others, share the gospel and say, hey, there's still time to repent and turn from your sins. Turn to the Lord of salvation. But with these two things, this is two things I don't want you to do. Two knots that you're not supposed to do. One is don't get entangled with the things of the world. And what I mean by that is, is don't worry if people will judge you on what you dress, on what you drive, on how big your house is, or how much money you make, or anything else on that. Be a God-fearer, not a people-pleaser. Don't worry about how many boxes you have in the attic. How much stuff can I attain in this world and call it mine? Because you don't get to take that home with you. Don't stress over how much you have to save up for retirement. Because I know that's easy world to get sucked into. We're always thinking that what we do now matters in the next 30, 40 years. Do you not realize what you do now reflects for eternity? And so we need to realize that and wake up. We are not home and this place is temporary temporary. The second don't is don't lose sight of Christ as your first love. Stay encouraged and stay strong and cling to God as we travel through this world to arrive safe and sound in the Father's hands. That is my hope, that is my prayer, and that is my calling for you guys. And as we close today, I want you to think about those things. What is God calling you to do? What is he challenging your heart, pricking your heart? So as we close and we begin the invitation, number one is you cannot please God. You cannot try to pursue the Lord if you are lost in complete darkness. And when you die, you will go to hell and you will be out of the presence of the Lord. But those who have been redeemed. Those who have called upon the Lord of salvation, the gospel says in Romans that he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. It's that good. And I want you to know that God is willing to save anyone here. But those who are believers, what is God calling you to do right now? How are you going to respond to this text, to this gospel? How are you going to long for his word? Let's pray. God, thank you for your beautiful word. How you have called us out of darkness into light. Have you challenged us to pursue you above all else? How you have pierced hearts and changed lives throughout history for your name's sake and you get the glory, not us. But Lord, I want to speak in today's time. Lord, if there's anyone here who is completely lost, would you call them out of darkness into life, into salvation? But Lord, those who are saved and redeemed, may you call them out that they would rid themselves of sin and malice and hypocrisy and envy. Lord, and call them into grace and goodness and let them build their lives upon the foundation of Christ. And may we do that right now in this moment. I love you, I thank you, and you move as you need to, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.